Welcome to No Sidekicks, a Magicians Rewatch podcast where we'll be discussing every episode of The Magicians in order and with a lot of feelings. I'm Dara. And I'm Olivia. And we'll be your hosts on this little journey we're going to take. Woohoo! Woohoo! <laughs> Dara, we get into it a little bit in the episode, but let's talk about why we're doing this effing podcast. I think that you and I texted enough times about either running into a cast member of the magicians or seeing something in media enough times where we were like, oh, I think we have a lot to say about this. We're not even a minute into this podcast and you're bragging about meeting the cast of the magicians. (laughs) Try to be cool about it, Olivia. Uh (laughs) Dara and I were both English majors together at a unnamed university and (laughs) yeah we weren't uh we weren't super close we were like in each other's circles we were chill but you know through inter-social parasocial relationships or whatever (laughs) we kept in touch on instagram and we would always talk about the magicians Mm -hmm. and finally i was like we should like do this officially we've already recorded five episodes and i'm so giddy every time being thrown back into the early seasons makes me so excited to do this and talk about it with you but i also think it's going to be very weird the longer this podcast goes on because i no longer recommend the magicians to people Mm. it used to always be something i would tell people to watch and after season four i could no longer in good conscience tell people to watch the show i would only do so when i gave them a long list of trigger warnings i'm curious to see if my relationship with the show has changed as time has moved on and if i'm still gonna get very heated and very angry i am i'm that's not an if i take that back i have so many (laughs) about this show it really made me feel seen when I was like 26 and moved to a new city and was figuring out who I was and um it also destroyed me so we'll see we'll see everybody and this is a spoiler free podcast so everything Olivia is alluding to is a if you know you know and I'm totally aligned and I think that if anything This may take off some of the rose-colored glasses that I have for the show, and I'm able to analyze it a little bit more deeply than when I first just watched it for fun and kind of look into it in a more critical way, which I think will be good for both of us. And then maybe for anyone else who has like struggled with this show, loving it and hating it. Loving it and hating it. We're for sure here to hold sci-fi and Sarah Gamble and John McNamara accountable for their choices. We're going to have a lot of fun. We're also going to hold people accountable. Yeah, it sounds like us. Quite nicely worded, but well-intentioned. <laughs> also sounds like us. <laughs> That's not true. I'm very inarticulate. And Olivia's really got their shit together. Okay, so how did we get to the name of the podcast? This is going to be the segment that people have to go back to and reference because I'm sure we'll never bring it up again. We were pretty dead set on picking a line from the show and made a whole cute list of them. But in the end, we kind of just paraphrased an episode name. The show itself calls out the issues present in media when we have like a white male protagonist or when side characters are better than main characters or just when like side characters get left behind and they're just used as props like you know the token gay best friend or like the token Uh character like this show really 
immediately tries to challenge those notions. And as the series goes on, I feel like that becomes more and more relevant. No spoilers, but yeah. Spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) And that's just like one of the things I've loved about this show from start to finish is just like the way the cast interacts with each other. I do have big feelings about it, good and bad, as with everything. But yeah, this is a note sidekick stone. Everybody is main character and we weren't going to call this podcast main character energy. So here we are. (laughs) The sidekicks, baby. Next best thing, and we're going to own it. I like it. Now, before y'all dive into this episode, we just wanted to say... There is sexual assault in this episode, so we just want to do a trigger warning because we do discuss it. And if you'd like to skip over that conversation, the timestamp is from one hour and 20 minutes to one hour, 25 minutes. So if you're not in a place to listen to that right now, you can skip over it. It's okay. We still love you. Okay. With that being said, let's get into it. Woo, let's go. Hello, here we are in our little podcast land, in our little Zoom meeting to talk about The Magicians. When did you start watching The Magicians? So if it was out in 2015, I feel like it was like a couple of episodes into the first season that I heard about it. I was a big sci-fi kid. Like I was always watching like Sharknado and whatever kind of crazy stuff that were airing. And then they had really good ads for the magicians. And that's what got me into it. Yes. I remember hearing an interview with John McNamara about like how he was blown away at the extent of the marketing for the magicians that sci-fi pulled out. They were like, we want this to be a freaking flagship show. I work in TV marketing and... Even then I noticed that it was really good. And I've always looked to those campaigns and thought, "Mm, we could have done that, but we didn't. So they had a lot of passion for it, I think. Um, And it worked on me. So what about you? When did you get started? I started watching once it got put up on Netflix. Um, So probably December 2016, since that tended to be the trend that haunted me through the years of watching this show. I would have to wait for it to come up out on Netflix because I like I just moved to Philly. I was in a house with two people I met through Facebook and I was like... I'm not paying for cable. I'm, you know, I work at an ice cream store. I'm not paying for cable. So once I got hooked on the show, it was a pain in the ass though, because it would be like, I would go home for the summer and I'd be like on my mom's cable, trying desperately to catch up on (laughs) like what I've missed because I don't get to live episodes and the sci-fi app would always crash on me. Sorry. They were like, we've invested in the marketing, but we've not invested in the UI for this. I'm not sorry. Bye. <laughs> yeah. And then once we got to season five, there was a bit of, a bit of gatekeeping mm-hmm. sci-fi. Uh, you had to have like a special account and you could get like three free watches oh, if you didn't have the account. So it was a little, it was rough going, but I was, I was hella committed to this show. 
pretty quickly. This episode in particular, let's hop right into it. Unauthorized Magic is the first episode of season one, written by Sarah Gamble and John McNamara, directed by Mike Cahill, and it first aired December 16th, 2015. And for a first episode, it's it's a banger. It comes out hard. Yes. And no. The first scene (laughs) is like fuck, right? It's fog and someone. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> you're like it goes hard. There's two people sitting in a park. What? <laughs> by it goes hard. Yes, I yes, mean, yes. by the end, I was like, "What the fuck? Yeah, I need the next episode." The start of the episode is definitely hmm. harder to follow. I did not like f- the scene with Fog and the woman in the park. We will call her the oh, paramedic right. for now because that is who she becomes later in this episode, in particular. Remember this face, everybody. Just <laughs> drop that in there for now. I did not like that scene. I felt it was hard to follow along. I feel like there was so much I was supposed to pay attention to in that scene, but it was too early to yeah. really understand it. It probably wouldn't have been the first scene if it wasn't such a nice setup to show that Quinn it was in the Midtown Mental Health Clinic. It kind of ties directly into that. And I also think it's not a scene for people who have no idea about the magicians of the world, right? That's a scene for maybe the people who've the books or even the people who wrote the show because they're like we're doing art and we want to have a fun little easter egg at the top of the show for sure definitely i would say both for book readers and for people who have seen the show already people who have written the show i do think it's okay that they kind of started off on a foot that we didn't quite get Mm. I think as much as I struggled through that scene and now having like rewatched it, I can pull so much more wealth out of it. Yeah. I think having it be the first scene and having us not be able to quite follow along, but pick up on more the like urgency and the sarcasm and just mm-hmm. the tone of the scene is, is okay for the, for the very start. In fact, prior to my other statement, if they had put this scene in a little later, I don't think it would have done as well because we still wouldn't know what they're talking about and there would have already been world building starting to be established. It's kind of like, okay, that it's, uh, it doesn't make sense right away because nothing is supposed to make sense right away. This is our introduction. It's like you said, it's like, take it or leave it. Right. So it's like, we could have it and we know what we benefit from it later on when you watch it again with more knowledge. But then if they had removed it all together, we still would have gotten everything else that happened. It's just more of a, on upon reflection, I realized we had a lot more than we did initially. <laughs> Before we even get to them on the park bench, it's it's kind of just like, here's a city. It's gray and noisy and very mundane. You know, that's what it looks like in New York. It's just gray. There's no other yeah. color. Accurate. Yeah. But it, it also lends itself to make that whole door reveal that much more magical. Fog steps out of a building door that has a forest inside of it. Forest that is very sparkly and sunny and not like a chilly New York morning in the park. I think that I run into doors like that all the time in the city. I, I think that's totally, oh, it's not, it's not normal, is it? <laughs> Let me tell you, not in Philadelphia. <laughs> maybe in New York no. no I mean I haven't seen one of those in maybe like three years um <laughs> yeah the pandemic kind of ruined indoor forests so you think it would be the opposite <laughs> but 
Yeah. And like I said, so much happens in this scene. You get a watch, you get this moth, which we see later several times in the episode. You get the urgency, you get break bills, name drop. You have the idea of them. The paramedic is concerned about them, getting them to break bills, but also especially Quentin. So right away we know Quentin's important. Cut to. Cut to Midtown Mental Health Clinic. And if you didn't know we were in NYC before, this shot us to Statue of Liberty is uh, confirming. Thank you. Thanks, guys. How did you feel about Time to Pretend playing? Time to Pretend by MGMT. Oh. During the conversation of Quentin with Dr. London and during the scenes at oh the Oh my party. God, I know the song and I'm sorry. Fuck, I remember thinking it was like weird. It's like really upbeat, right? It's very upbeat. It was released in 2007. So I knew it at this point. I think it was very interesting, like a popular song, but also not out of pocket choice because the lyrics are so relevant to the themes of this episode and to this moment and everything Quentin's talking about. It's about a song about growing up and missing the comfort of being a kid and knowing you need to grow up, being fated to live the life of an adult and do boring things and subsequently resisting that life. Uh, and it says we're fated to pretend. And it's like, which one is the pretend life? The the life that you're resisting or the life that you're living? The song itself, like you said, upbeat, but kind of kind of uh kind of like existentially like dreadful <laughs> and there's Q um what did what did you think about Q in our in our in our midtown mental health facility which I'm sure is not real it it was it was rough it was despondent um and it it was hard to have like Q's words quoted back at him and us because you see Q and he's like saying he's fine and everything's fine. And the doctor was like, really? Because this is what you said to me last time we talked. Uh, The feeling of not belonging anywhere was overwhelming and that you were the most useless person to ever live. So if you were, if you wanted to know what Q is, like, we're character building right away. Q thinks he's the most useless person. But a couple of days in isolation, just hanging out with himself, which is probably what he was doing before, just cleared all that up, right? So he's fine now. <laughs> it's definitely implied that he he went there to get some meds, for sure. He talks about selling the comic collection to grow up and that you eventually have to let all of your childhood comforts go to grow up and get serious. And when he talks about that, when he talks about getting serious, we cut to a scene of James and Julia in the party with him, her waving him over. And he's like, it's part of growing up and getting serious. That's what I'm doing. And she waves him over and he makes an excuse to go get a drink. So he's resisting immediately this thing that he said he was going to do. Julia, we couldn't spend one single podcast episode talking about Julia and Q. So this introduction is quite a way to meet them, right? Like we have no idea what their relationship is. All we know is that she's like, here, I'm trying to include you. And he's like, I do not want to be included. I want to not be here. No, but at the same time, there's like the immediate intimacy and dynamic is established between them. It's It is so good. We love it. 
to a point that watching the rest of the episode is so hard because you know they show you exactly what you're supposed to be getting and then they rip it all up. (laughs) True. True. I love the part where, is it James is her boyfriend's name? Mm Mm-hmm. I love that part where he comes in and he's like, oh my God, you're cheating on me with your longest friend. And I just think that is like, yeah. My girl, my friend. <laughs> like, it's Have so you know, cute and, and like innocent and very like a very secure like situation where I'm like, oh, look at how playful everyone is in this scene that I'm, I'm like, I'm very enamored by. I like, I love that moment just because it's, it's a moment of levity in this serious conversation between Q and uh, Julia, where, you know, Quinn's like, do I have to sit up? Is this a serious conversation? Um, And James comes in and not only is it silly, but you see Q's, um, confidence in this moment where he's playing with James. James asks if he has any decency and he goes, not even a little, like he doesn't break. He doesn't blink. He's like, not, not only not trying to hide his intimacy with Julia, but it's very clear that James knows about their, like their, whatever history they have, everybody's comfortable with it. And they can play with it. And I like that because at this point, the read on cue is kind of, uh-oh. <laughs> and then you see this kind of moment of playfulness where he knows himself very, it's it's very brief, but I really love it. It's, it's he knows himself and also the people in his community, the people around him value him, even though he does not value himself. And that's, you know, hard to watch. The next scene Definitely builds Julia and Q's relationship uh, a little more. Julia says that she's the angel protecting his future and does the um, the little face touch, hair touch. I feel like in TV land, one of the immediate signs of we are very close and I care about you is I'm just going to very softly touch your face or brush the hair out of your face in case mm-hmm. you missed it in the first scene where this, this friendship is deep. <laughs> had some hair touching so riddle me this even in the city which i i understand the lines are blurred in in cities because like houses are also establishments yeah would you just go in would you just walk into this building uh it looks like a house the door looks like a house door and they're like outside knocking for the interview and they just go that's a no-go right like i don't care where part where in the city you are you're not just walking into someone's built house building this is a confusing scene too and i don't think they're ever going to address it we're never going to get the answers it's it is a weird scene it happens very quickly uh q sees the the clock from the fillery and further book that we see in the previous scene and i'm going to hop back to the previous scene because again we're just turned around today um i love seeing Q's room. We didn't talk about that. I'm talking about it now. I love the, the first thing you see other than him like reading is a a bottle of medication and an ashtray. And then in case you didn't know, he was like college age. There you go. Um, And then all of the fillery and further books and the books on sleight of hand magic, like in posters, we love a fixated fiction boy 
Um, but I also love that a set designer took the time to make all of these things to establish Q's nerddom, not just in the dialogue of the party in which he's getting very amped up about CGI and sleight of hand, but like, this is his comfort room. Like this is his place of escape and it is in fantasy very clearly. Um, And the reason I'm hopping back to that, other than to just drone on about how much I love it, is the book cover of the book he's reading. It zooms in and there's the cover with the three kids and the clock glowing. And at first I thought the clock was like a keyhole glowing. Um, But then you realize it's a clock because after it zooms in on the cover, you see the actual clock in the Chatwin uh, home. But I kind of like my mistake. I'm going to throw this out here that it was intentional, that it kind of looks like a keyhole glowing in the dark because it's like maybe Fillory is the key for Quentin. Just saying. Um, you can't see my <laughs> candid head gestures, but there's um, a lot of them right now. <laughs> I think that the way that they, and this is a consistent theme, right? I think the way that they show Quentin and how he sees the books, because we see it, we see it with him. He's reading the book and then we pop over to the chat wins, right? I love that because they're not throwing a fictional series within a series at us with zero context. They're like, you're getting it. You're going to get attached to these characters as well. And it's just, it's just kind of like a, I think that any other show would be like, this is going to be expensive. And they did it anyways. It's, and it it probably was, but it's so worth it to hear or to see what he is like envisioning because it, it is so cute, right. To like see Jane and Rupert and Martin Chatwin. And it's like, because they're not just characters to him. They're real, real, like they're real people that he like reads about. I mean, they're fictional, but you know, they're, they're important to him. And so it's like the story itself is showing us what is important to him. Some of that is real, Julia, and then other parts of it are not so real. Also, I just have to say that the fact that Q was feeling so bummed out at this party and so like unwelcome at this party and it's at his apartment. And I was, <laughs> I was like, who are you inviting to these parties? I was like, I can't believe, I mean, it must've been Julia's doing? Do they live together? I guess it's a little unclear to me. So according to probably Wikipedia, I don't remember where I read this, it's supposed to be a graduation party for all of them. That makes sense. Graduating from. So I guess like, do Julia and Q live together? I think all three of them live together. It's, you never see uh, Q's room again in the rest of the episode. You just see Julia and James living together and it feels like the same apartment. Although I don't remember <laughs> if that, never mind. Spoilers. Uh, uh, I, I believe that kind of gets taken care of later when there's like illusion magic of like Q's, Q's stuff getting taken away or whatever. I don't yeah. Know. I want to talk about this scene a little more. I know we were trying to move on from it, but there's so much meat in this scene. I can't get over. Uh, it's it's just so important, not to only world building, but to everything that literally just happened five minutes before. Um, as we see Martin and Jane and, and Rupert, um, Q 
is almost describing uh, what he was talking about with the doctor. He talks about um, Martin to combat his melancholy would lose himself in stories of wonder. And he had to convince his siblings that Fillory Mm -hmm. was not a fantasy. Uh, Jane, he refers to as a skeptic. And Rupert, he said, was the first to put away childish things. And then he describes Fillory as a land of magic, but that this adventure in Fillory is no mere children's tale. So again, we get the play of like what he was talking about with the doctor of what makes somebody a serious adult or serious tale, what makes them childish? What do they need to put away that's childish? And do they need to put it away? Anyway, that's, that is all I actually do have left on that scene. Um, but I just, it was so beautiful, the parallel that he was making with his own thoughts um, and this book and his life. Um, and then he gets in the alumni interview and he sees the clock and he loses it. He's like, this, this yeah. is it. This is the clock. Holy shit. Is this guy like me? Is this guy a collector? Is he an established Yale alumni mm-hmm. and he's into fillery? This um, guy alive. And then we get, um, a, you know, our, <laughs> exactly. We, he's not. Um, and we get a nice little jump scare with Julia screaming in the dead body. And then we cut to credits um nearly mm-hmm. a quarter of the way into the episode let me tell you <laughs> they they often take their time hopping to credits oh, they love a good slow burn for the top section of the episode which i respect because then you're like oh when is this gonna happen yes i also respect it i feel like it's almost a nice breather from that little jump scare and also a nice moment of was this what you thought you signed up for? Yeah. I, you know what? That, that, that scene when they find the body gives me, oh, this is going to be um, Mystery of the Week, the show, because that's what those shows feel like, right? They're like, oh, the conflict is actually going to be um, Q and Julia find dead bodies and solve the crimes. It's not that show at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Very Monster of the Week. Very early yeah. Buffy, very Scooby-Doo. Except that's not what we get at all. Um, not at all. Uh, this scene is also so awkward. First time I watched this episode, I did not make the connection that the paramedic was the woman on the bench from the first scene. But immediately you're like, this person's not a fucking paramedic. Like she just implied that the guy looked like he drank. <laughs> She's so funny. I mean, she shouldn't be, she shouldn't be funny. That's the, that's the tell. <laughs> she should not be funny. And she's being very silly. They apologize to her and she's like, why did you kill him? Julia's like, what is going on? You know? And, and what, it, what is that to say? Like that Julia is like so steeped in like the beginning of her adult life. This idea that she has where she's like, something is off. Quentin is meanwhile caught up in something else that is happening in this scene. Granted, they're both they're both quite in shock right now. I mean, dead body, first dead body is gotta be scary. Uh, <laughs> but also, like, why would she know that that envelope is for him? Oh yes, she left the screen. Like, why was you just like, yeah, I'll trust you? We don't see the envelope. There's no quit in cold water written in big yeah, letters. It's on. definitely the silliest way to get a person um, a bunch of information. I'll say that much. And then the the payoff of what the packet of papers does is pretty pretty silly. And maybe maybe they went a little too far. I'm like, I all of this for that? What were they gonna do? 
<laughs> and they, I do like that they call it out. Julia's like, why the fuck would he, you think he just like wrote this? You think he just has been sitting on this for 50 years? Like shut the fuck up Q. And we're kind of like, yeah, I guess shut the fuck up Q. <laughs> um, but then they have their fight. <laughs> the conflict between them and the scene is like what we were just talking about. It's that big question of the episode is how are you going to handle big adult life events, right? Finding a dead body is probably one of the most like adult things. Sure. Plenty of other pieces of media have kids fought like, like, you know, finding dead bodies and getting mixed up into some scary stuff. But there is like this expectation of how adults react to these sort of things. And Q is kind of propelled into, oh, this is Fillory. This is the the book series I'm obsessed with. And she's like, you need to wake up. You need to be an adult. And they go in two different paths. It's rough, though, because she's she for me, I felt it was so jarring um, because she was so Mm -hmm. supportive up until this point. And then she was just like, stop. You said you were going to sell the stuff. Sell it. Forget about it. It's like, oh, fuck. Like, I guess we were, you know, trying to softer approach now. Now we're not. Now we're tough loving it. And it's it's tough. And she's tells him he can't run away hard enough. And that you find out that Julia was also as big of a nerd as Quentin before that she got him into it, um, which is very important for later on in this episode, but also just in general. And you also get a little saltiness from Q saying that being a nerd didn't bother her till she met James. Definitely some clearly unrequited feelings playing out here a little bit. And it's a little yucky. And unfortunately, this was in an era of uh, let's talk about the friend zone, which is not real (coughs) a lot. So this fight happens. And like you said, they go their separate ways. And we're all just feeling yucky and unsettled to to q's credit i think that the magicians the show is never trying to make q the most appealing person it feels it feels intentional and that's that's what i i i respect it i think that there's like a realism that comes with his character that i can really yeah we love a flawed unreliable narrator not that he's the narrator but we're definitely mostly in his pov um i i agree i'm down with a flawed hero um or protagonist rather so they get separated or they go their separate ways and then something magical happens (laughs) i think i wrote in my notes like oh oh almost got it oh i is it worth it i do think this this might be an early page you can let it go it just it just kept like stopping and then and then right as you would get there yeah. it blowing it's a pretty silly it's a silly <laughs> it's like so uh mouse like mouse and cheese sort of the situation where i'm like oh you guys could have just gotten him into an elevator like you did with julia but we had to play the long game with q <laughs> yes um yes but then we get the whole like akin to crawling crawling through the wardrobe moment um, it also gives us Elliot Waugh, baby, because he gets to be there to say he's late because Q took so long chasing that. Paper. It's, a, it's an interesting little scene because you see Julia go through that very clinical looking lobby waiting area at the same time. And yet Elliot is waiting for Q. And it's like they knew that Q was going to be late. And 
I know it's magic, but how could you know that? So two things. Um, Fog later talks about having the globe magic where he basically is tracking these people. Um, and they, I'm guessing they found out early, which is why the paramedic was sent because I'm, I'm assuming that Q was supposed to step in at the dude's house. Like he was supposed to have his elevator moment there. Um, and Julia was supposed elevator. to have hers oh, when she was okay. going to meet James. But because because he didn't, they were like, well, let's let's get him to chase this paper into this other portal. <laughs> Their plan B was pretty silly. Um, I honestly never put that together till now, and it has always bothered me, so thank you. We have our <laughs> location as well, which I'm desperate to hold on to. It's upstate New York, somewhere. Somewhere with very different weather than... Um, or just a filter. You know, it might just be that. Someone's got a little... A little filter of some kind. They're like swapping through them. They're like, this one looks good. And we get, we get, uh, I love the delivery of Quinn's name from Elliot. It's, it's so good. He just like sees his name. <laughs> Quentin Coldwater. I also love the, uh, well, Elliot is doing his exposition. I love the, am I hallucinating? If I were, how would you asking me help? <laughs> And this is the sh- this is probably the scene that hooked me, right? Because we've already gotten a little bit of sarcasm from from Fog, who we learned is Fog. Um, but mostly, it's been a tussle between Q and Julia, right? There's been mostly interpersonal problems between the two of them. Elliot shows up, and he's like, "If you're dumb, I'm gonna tell you," and. That is an energy that is so unmatched in characters on TV shows that like, I just can't even explain, but he meets essentially the main character as of episode one and is like, you're nothing special, baby. And I am here for that energy. And let's say this, he keeps it up. So he keeps it up. True. He definitely, they definitely get a little tropey with his, um, early representation i i have to say but i'll save that i'll save that for later i love his like you're a dumb dumb boy and i'm a hot hot man we meet elliot we meet dean uh we see penny and katie but don't get introduced to them yet they're at least in the foreground of most of the scenes that's how you know they're about to be like named characters we have this wonderful moment where like we're seeing julia from the front of the room and in the background we see q struggling to take off his sweater <laughs> and Penny's just <laughs> looking at him like who the fuck is this guy um and there's no reason they needed to include this moment at all No, because that was a moment where jason ralph was like you know what would be so in character right now um <laughs> And that's right. That's right. I love it. Yes, it was It was just fully an indulgent character moment. Like, yeah, we, we can do it to see that Julia and Quentin are in the same room, but we kind of already established that. And I, I love it. It was so unnecessary. Um, Q definitely seems to be the only one freaked out by Everyone this Everyone else is like, just another Tuesday. It's another Scantron sheet. And Quentin's like, the pages are moving. <laughs> We find out that the test is a test of magical aptitude for those who appear to have nascent abilities. And Julia is like, 
immediately on board. Like, fuck everything we've seen already. She's like, yes. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, no, I can't do anything now. Like, magic is my life. And I can't just go to Yale if this place exists. And the guy's like, too bad, so sad. (laughs) Oh, it's the best scene. I I really love it. And that's just maybe because... Julie, Julie is an interesting character, but I love when a hater doesn't get their way (laughs) (laughs) because she, she was like, of course I knew it. And I'm like, bitch, you did not, you were not know it. You were like, sell those books, but here we are. I will say I, I can appreciate her, her smartness in this scene. We know mm-hmm. that her and Q are both privileged and smart, but we don't really see it until this scene where Julia, she goes through so many hats so quickly. She does like the angry, don't you want people uh, who question things? She does the very calm, polite, can we just start over? She does like the sad, like I can't go to Yale if I know about that. Like she, not only does she know what she's doing, but she knows how to like give it and like yeah. make you feel it. Not not just like Stella as an actor, but like Julia in this scene is using her emotions and knowing what to turn on and off to kind of like not just get what she wants. I'm not just trying to like play up the manipulation of Julia, although she is very manipulative. Um, but just like her quickness and her intuitiveness is awesome. And then she cuts herself, which I did oh. not get the first time I watched this. I was like, what the fuck is this bitch doing? Did yeah. you know what was happening here? Because I did not. I, well, they go, that's why we're going to make sure that you can't remember men in black the hell out of her. Yes. Uh, and like, I will, I will say like, I don't think I got it. And this is the second time I've watched it and it was still a shocking thing to see. And even the scenes following were confusing to me. Yes. I, I do like how shocking it is. I like that. So no spoilers, but fair warning, The Magicians doesn't shy away from occasional gore and body yeah. horror. And this was just like, again, we're in episode one, and this woman is just slicing up her arm. There's blood. It's it's drastic. Like, we're all, so far, we've just been pretty much in, like, home, school, and clinical settings. Yep. And she just, like, takes off her ring and cuts her, like, big forearm slice yep, yep i mean we're we're like dead body big gash in arm what could possibly happen next it's you'd think that those would be the two big events but we're just getting started yeah so we're probably at the halfway point and we also like don't really get time to process it nor do we get to see the men in blacking of julia we just hop to Q in the next room Um, where he's being asked to perform magic and he starts doing his little card tricks and the (laughs) dean says no real magic um which again uh perhaps not again but kind of building off the like what is for children what is for grown-ups uh builds off the what is real and what isn't theme that we're going to start to see developing here and (laughs) the dean um uh, this is a little character building as well. Uh, 
gives his little speech. I don't know if you remember this. I wrote it down because it's, uh, it's so hard. Like Dean, you didn't have to go this hard, but he goes this hard and he asks Quentin if he wants to return to his pointless miasmic march to death that he calls life. like damn and then he screams at this traumatized boy to quit digging around (laughs) which really incredible really incredible uh clearly it's all a like ploy to spur a reaction out of cue an emotional reaction to get some magic out of him but like good lord if i had this stranger man who's holding like the precipice of my life in his hands yelling at me i would i would not do well i do not do well with authority figures i would have cried on the spot (laughs) (laughs) cried and then done magic with those tears hey uh I, think I would probably though, need another yell though to to get angry at the fact that I was crying you know <laughs> I feel like uh Dean Fogg does a lot to like go toe-to-toe with Quentin Quentin has a lot of like bundled up emotions that are very like he and I think I made a I'm, I made a comment about this in my notes that like Quentin has been told, like, don't feel these kinds of things, feel these kinds of things. This is a positive emotion. This is a negative emotion. And he is putting them all in one little thing and just holding it all in. And I think magic is the antithesis of that. And that's what, what the Dean is looking for. And he's like, release all of this, like these, these barriers and just feel what you're feeling. It's a really aggressive way to go about it. But um, it does get the job done. Hmm. You've really summed up why I relate to Q as a character. (laughs) (laughs) That's it. The podcast is over. (laughs) That's it. I don't have to go back to therapy now. I get it. (laughs) Yeah. Um. (laughs) I mean, we'll we'll have to. We're going to come back to that. Don't worry. Um, We get the cards. We get this. A fantastic moment of camera work where Quentin is controlling the cards and he builds this um this you know card castle uh it's a little easter egg remember what this castle looks like um and we get the view of Quentin through the cards as he's realizing he's doing this and then once the castle is fully built he just see him pass out through the cards and then the cards fall down and it's it's so beautiful it's such a good shot and it was the it was the shot that the marketing team was like we need those we need that and we're gonna use this for the entire campaign don't worry we that's what we want and good for them it works (laughs) um yeah that's a really and then that it cuts to commercial right yes Yes, it gets to commercial and we wake up um, in a dream. And I want to um, note something here. Uh, this is where I began to kind of notice the use of like lighting and coloring yep. in this episode. And I want to pay attention to if they do this throughout the series or if it's just kind of early on. Mm-hmm. Where all of the scenes that are not at break bells, that are not... Um, I don't want to say not magical because clearly Quinn's dreams are like in a sense prophetic and magical. Yeah. Um, But anything that is like 
ordinary, like dreaming is technically ordinary. Um, the non-magical world is ordinary and New York City is ordinary. All of those scenes are shot into like this, um, like very cool lighting, uh, lots of like blue filtering to it. I don't know how to talk about this. I'm going to say filter. Um, yeah, I think right. um, and everything in break bells um, and on the campus is like very warm, lots of like pink and red undertones, yellow undertones, everything's kind of like glowing. And it, um, it just really establishes that like, we're supposed to feel that the the non-magical world is very cold and devoid of things. And like the magical world is like, has the things that make you feel truly like alive and warm. I think it's also a very smart tool to get us to feel things without really thinking about why we're feeling them. Um, so we're in this dream, this slightly blue dream with Q walking along a path and seeing a clock tree like we did when he was reading from Fillory and we were seeing the Chatwins and Jane Chatwin appears to him uh, and warns him not to play with time and that it won't stop the beast from coming. This is where we first get the mention of a beast um, and that he will find him in the school if he stays on the garden path, the beast will kill everyone. And a moth flies into Q's face and he wakes up. Dun, dun, dun. Now, did you notice that this moth um, was also the same moth in the first scene? As well as in, um, we see them in the scene where Q is reading from the book. Like in when he's picturing what's happening in the book. No, I miss them in the scene where he's imagining what's in the book. Where are they? They're in the corner. So there's like a scene shot from above looking down on the chat winds, all like looking at the tree and on the branches of the tree, there's these like orange and blue bugs and the blue ones are the moths. Oh my God. Yeah, no, I, I, totally I watched that. the show a bunch of times and I don't think I knew that <laughs> until this time. Wow, laying it on thick. So Q wakes up. Um, I think we don't even cut to Q in the bedroom yet. I think we cut to straight to Julia's apartment yeah. where she wakes up next to James. Right, this is where I started to get confused. Um, I think we know just like looking back, it's it makes a lot more sense. The, the professor at break bills does say like, we're going to give you memories that, you know, explain where you were during this time. Clever. But she wakes up and you can tell her demeanor is like totally not what we've seen so far. Uh, and she's definitely confused. She, she's confused. No, we see her look at her cut arm where we're like, ah, okay, if we didn't get the cut arm before, we kind of get it now. Um, mm -hmm. And then they really drive it home later at the club. But uh, yes. we see her trying to Google things that sound like break bills. Right, right, right. And we're like, okay, so she kind of remembers, which is slightly unbelievable, but okay. Agreed on the unbelievable part. I was just going to say, it doesn't suspend my belief, disbelief like enough for me to get mad about it. Um, 
but it is worth noting that it's like I feel like I should remember this for later no there's not much else to that scene we cut straight to Fogg's office after that yep. or or not Fogg's office but a room in which Fogg is meeting people yes magic is real but you knew that already <laughs> which is I love um it, it's it goes with the theme of like what is real and what isn't and like what is worth smothering and what isn't and we learned that the paramedic woman is sort of a freelancer <laughs> and again with like real and not real uh the school's only intention is to reveal your innate abilities and hone them to the highest degree they don't teach teach taking over the world which i thought was cute <laughs> It's so good. But if you want to do that, you can try. We just don't teach that here. Love it. (laughs) We don't teach that. (laughs) Um, He explains they use like illusion magic to kind of convince everybody that Q is off doing normal world things right now. We get both our favorite lines of the episode. Magicians can't eat Oreos. Magnetics can't eat Oreos. It's yeah, it's my favorite and least favorite line of the show. But it is. It is that classic sassy uh, fog energy that I have to respect. But it's also, and this is something that's so interesting about fog as a character, because there is so much sarcasm, seriousness, and levity in everything he's saying. Because in the same moment, we're also getting him saying what we all want to hear. You're not depressed. You're alone. You're not crazy you're angry and he like q agrees to stay with break bills and in signing the contract he puts his i guess an antidepressants or some sort of medication over to dean fogg and was like well i don't need these anymore and like that's really overhanded but i mean the dean straight up says like everybody medicates out there we hope you won't need to here yeah which you know, I feel like this could have, uh, not only is it overhanded, but it's like, maybe we should talk about weeding off the, the drug. <laughs> we'll set you up with like one of our nurses to right. like, talk to you about, you know, if, if you need to go back on them or find out something else. To, uh, they could have still played on the, you're not different, you're supernatural trope um, mm-hmm. without having it just be like well here's my meds I'm not gonna feel any problems by stopping them um because one thing I love about the magician's world building is we don't ignore the things that are happening in the real world like we bring up Oreos um which feels small but like in parallel to this moment is like quite big I feel like in lots of other fantasy things it's Um, in order to kind of aid in the world building we don't really talk about the advances of the modern world like in Mm -hmm. uh, Harry Potter is like a very easy example when we talk about muggles it's like ha 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 what is the function of a rubber duck Um, but like there's all these things that muggles have that it's like Hogwarts doesn't have that like Right. Um, Hogwarts doesn't have a DSL connection. I understand it's the 90s, but like <laughs> little things like that, that we don't get brought into the world building. And I feel like we're starting off right off the bat talking about Oreos and antidepressants 
So I feel like we could have taken that extra step to be like, realistically, we'll set you up with a fucking doctor to to see if you don't have to medicate here. Because he's not saying, Quentin, get off your medication. He's saying, we hope you won't feel the need to be on antidepressants here because you're feeling all your feelings in order to do the magic and like get in touch with yourself. But we, we kind of don't go that far and it's a it's a bit of a bummer um but is it but is it if the if what we are what we are telling the line of right now didn't happen there'd be no plot there'd be no show and that's one of my favorite every time I'm like oh I'd love to just see a character doing blah ordinary thing regular day in this this setting I remember the reason why that doesn't exist is because the plot has to happen um I don't need, I agree. I understand what you're saying. I don't need to see Quentin have regular visitations with the, uh, the nurse on staff at Breakwells, but I feel like because this is a, dro- a trope that can, you know, lend itself to harmful patterns of thinking, mm. I could have just used the line about it. We don't need to see it, but just kind of the comfort of like, Quentin still being taken care of. Like, yes, he's taking a leap, by like signing a contract to go to the school, but like the, just the, the handing over of the meds was just a little too much for me. <laughs> I don't Maybe. need to see it, but I could have the line as a little bit of comfort. We'll we'll do a little headcanon um, retcon where after the camera leaves the scene, Fog is like, "What the hell are you doing, man?" <laughs> Back in his hands, yeah, he would be like, <laughs> "Quinn, I know." <laughs> I know you're depressed, but you're not dumb. <laughs> yeah, I think that's the, the delivery. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for my little headcanon. I do adore my headcanons. Where we're in Quentin's bedroom with Penny or dorm. Yes. Um, who at this point is still unnamed, which we hate. Roommate. That's all we got. Um, yes. We see that it's you know, the guy who took his test next to Quentin with his little scarf and his little vest and his sexy little tattoos. Um, <laughs> Arjun Gupta looking very good in his role as Penny. I'm not going to lie. The, the, like, dark and moody bohemian boy is near and dear. It's not, it's, not a, it's not a common one, so I do enjoy it. They usually are peppy and fun and penny is not that at all um penny is not that at all he right away um gets hostile although i will say quentin gets a little hostile at first he accuses penny of taking the fillering further book six manuscript which penny refers to as kids shit and then we have an excellent line of (laughs) why do you have all that nerd boy dragon porn shit anyway are you 12 Um, which again, I love that we're bringing in real world shit. Like this is how people talk and sci-fi made the point of, uh, like not censoring this show yeah. and its language. Um, not that you can't say shit. Can you say shit? I can't remember. Well, can you say dragon porn on cable television? Great question. Uh, I will say that it was like, in real time live broadcast, it often was censored. But if you watched it like on your computer, it wouldn't be censored. 
not you. I only ever watched it on the computer. So my apologies. So no, but it was definitely a big appeal. And just like um, Elliot saying you're late or whatever he was, he was saying earlier, which I've now been distracted by Penny's aggression and the way he approaches Q's interests is so real (laughs) where it's like Q thinks that this is his world and it's not we're gonna go all over the place for sure it is uh it is not Quentin Coldwater's world we're all living in it (laughs) but it's not his (laughs) um I also like logistically I know this is not important had a question of like where like how did like his things get there how did everybody's stuff get yeah. there? Is this like a like a first year Hogwarts thing of like everybody's trunks just fucking up here in their room? Well, and, like, and that's something that the magicians like they managed to smash a little bit of everything in this episode, but pragmatically speaking, not a lot of details. Yeah. It doesn't <laughs> it doesn't super bother me. I just uh you know, I mean, that's the beauty of magic is you can kind of skip over some things and just be like, oh, yeah, it's magical. Their shit is there. Like, why wouldn't it be there? <laughs> yeah. And also follow up questions are probably like illegal. So they're like, no, don't ask. You'll learn that in your fifth year. Stop talking. Amen. Uh, feel free to <laughs> boop the camera and tell me illegal when I do this because I will be doing this. <laughs> oh, wait, what? No, <laughs> no, I'm saying that the. I'm saying that the magicians on the campus would be like, you're not allowed to ask that question. True. Like, it's magic. You'll learn it. (laughs) I'm not criticizing you. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, It's okay. Feel free to criticize me. This is a safe space. Um, We get Margot. Yeah, my favorite character. Yeah, Margot's your fave. Oh, yes. Um... It's yeah. okay if we can't talk about why, but this is, um, I mean, I should have known I think, because you I think named your like, cat after her. Yeah, wait. So let's say my qualifications for being involved in this, this magician's based podcast mm-hmm. is that I have a cat named after Margot specifically. I can't wait. I can't even say it. Bless you. I can't even say my cat's full name because it's a spoiler. It's okay. Um, but, but you have a cat named after Margot. And I have on multiple occasions had the benefit of interviewing some of the cast members at San Diego Comic-Con. And as recently of as two months ago, I saw Jason Ralph and another actor who will not be named because he's not in the season, uh, just in uh, on the street while I was in a cab and I yelled at them and I said, hello. And uh, yeah, so those are my qualifications. <laughs> I... I mean, <laughs> your face. <laughs> I didn't know that you got to interview them. I knew oh, that you yeah. had seen Jason Ralph and other person. And that's why we started <laughs> this podcast, because you were like, I knew you would appreciate this story. And I was like, I'm done with stories. We need to record our stories. I, I need to talk to somebody about this show. And you're the only person I talk to about it anymore. <laughs> I started off watching it with like a community of people and they all fell off respectively. Uh, and, um, <sighs> yeah, um, I will. I can send you some of those. It's not a full on interview because it's like a round table thing, but I get yeah. some questions in. Well, so. Well, we will uh, discuss those uh, around the relevant episodes, I suppose. Um, Excuse my mini meltdown. (laughs) We're back on track. We're back on track. Um, We get Margot and Elliot. Um, Yes. Margot 
says, he's not that cute. And then I watched it again. I rewind it and watch that scene again just to watch Elliot's face. Uh (laughs) I love it. I love it because it implies that Elliot told Margot Q was cute. Yeah. We love. We Um, do. And I... Margot's physicality during this next scene in yeah. which Elliot does the exposition machine on all the different kinds of magic at the school uh, because Margot is like walking and she has her little upraised limp wrists and her little tight skirt with her fake garters and you're like right away you're like this girl have money she's either rich or prissy or both but either way, Margo and Elliot are like the well-dressed, popular kids on campus. Like you can tell. They give us the mean girls walkthrough, which they I love. They give us the mean girls walkthrough. Correct. Oh my gosh, it does completely parallel that. Song. Oh yeah. It's the lunchroom and these are the half kids. Yeah. Um, I love that because there's no way that that wasn't on purpose. And there's no way it wasn't Elliot and Margo giving that talk. <laughs> Of course, they're absolutely like, we're going to show you how much we know. Uh, Because again, we are smart and hot and you're dumb, dumb boy. Uh, Well, the smart, hot combination is pretty odd to me, I think, because in magical fantasy series like this, there isn't a space for like hot, cool people. It's just like a bunch of nerds or rich people, you know, like I'm not. I'm trying to think of the fantasy Do you series. not think everybody is both hot and a nerd? <laughs> I, I, not that exists in general, but like in this world, I feel like oh, no. if you're committing I, to a magical education, you're a nerd. And because it's still, you know, Hollywood casting, it's everyone's hot. But we can't, I mean, okay. I think hot and nerd, but not cool, right? Because- True, because Quentin's not. We're going to need a character- in this episode, who they have deemed hot, nerd, not cool. You can't have all three. Mm. Mm. I'm going to be thinking about this, but I think you're right. I think you can't have all three. Interesting. Um, Yeah, I feel like, so when people are like building, they have a big whiteboard with all the characters' faces on it, and they have a triple Venn diagram with hot, cool nerd, and they're putting all the faces in it. Yeah. And that's, and that's how you write a show. And that's, that's all the character building they do. They don't do anything else. Um, Quentin is um, a hot nerd. Most of them are hot nerds. Yeah, they are. Elliot, Elliot and Margot. Hot, cool? <laughs> I... <laughs> oh no <laughs> would like to say more but I don't want to give some cute stuff away that happens in the future I'm just gonna say everybody is a nerd about something so maybe the baseline is nerd and then there's a third element that we have to pull out of that is not that fills that nerd spot fair enough um well shall we get over go over what the uh types of magic there are go for it okay so the physical kids which what a way to describe telekinesis. Excellent partiers. Love it. Uh, illusions, healing, nature. Okay. Fake. 
uh, now it's herbalism and uh, herbology rather in Harry Potter. Uh, it you know there's like an element of both potion work and then in this world building like uh, they refer to it. What do they refer to it as? Uh, circumstances uh, where the moon is, where the tides are, where the gravity uh, yes, is. Yes. But if you're like a naturalist, that shit is like not hard for you at all. <laughs> uh, am I right? There's a knowledge like yes that is a discipline uh, do they mention it in that scene yep, they do knowledge is an emphasis and then psychics uh who are the losers who are the losers who uh, can communicate telepathically yeah. so fun eat um, shit elliot <laughs> that's how we know elliot's a cool kid because he he's not sitting there come on okay he's clearly um, i mean it, yeah they establish very much like we are not the losers <laughs> Uh, we are the partiers. Don't come to our house. That's what she said. She was like, oh, the kids from the third year class walk by and they, we get Margo saying, maybe he should be scared. <laughs> and I love that because they're just, I like that they're kind of pointing fun at themselves and the genre, like of all yeah. the, oh, well, there's this dark past. And it's just like, Ellie's like, you're so dramatic. Like, it's not, that, it's not that big of a deal. Um, it's, it's a very cute little moment, I feel like, because we're supposed to, at the, at the, for a moment, we believe it and we're like, oh my God, not that the tale of the third year class is not scary, but we kind of fall into the trap and then they're like, oh, they're actually blase about this. But then Amargo says to stay on the garden path and I get freaked out. <laughs> stay on the bar. She goes, stay on the garden path, kid. And then goes to commercial. Yes. Uh, well, no, because then Elliot says, let's go find something magic to smoke. <laughs> <laughs> Arguably a better line, a better line to end the scene on. Yeah. Um, after that, we cut to a classroom where, again, they're talking about what inside you was coaxed out, your innateness was coaxed out, um, who can grow your magic into something more, who can be a real magician. Uh, I like that they're implying that the innate real stuff in you still requires growth and work. Mm. Um, and then we meet Alice. 28 minutes in. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, We meet Alice uh, very far in. I don't believe we see her in the testing room. And uh, she, I like that there's no explanation. Like, they're not like, okay, we're going to do what you did for the dean uh, and talk about why or how you were able to do it. (laughs) No, they don't say any of that shit. They just say, Alex, <laughs> she comes up and she yep. does her little thing with the light. And we see Penny and Katie first interact, very flirty. Um, it shows you immediately the show is going to be horny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and I, I, so I wonder if when Penny says, like, there's an artist at work here, I can't tell if he's being a dick or not. And I kind of like that. And I also kind of don't because I don't. (laughs) He contains multitudes. I think that also, I will say, like, I think that 
he is perceived a certain way because of his general attitude. But I think he like has a lot of respect for what Alice is doing in that scene. Um, I like that they play it respectful while working within this like, I'm still like fucking around and joking with you, mm -hmm. but at the same time, like this is real magic. So I'm going to watch her do this magic respectfully. Uh, Alice makes her little light horse, her little light glass horse. um, And her body language is so rigid and closed off as opposed to like Kenny and the Kenny and Katie, Penny and Katie who are, you know, leaning back in their chairs completely open um even with q who's anxious and moving all the time like she is just so tight and won't look at anybody and it's you know clearly distinctive we cut immediately to penny and katie having some levitation sex which is not the first time i have seen levitation sex in a magical (laughs) show <laughs> I would just like to note this is a trend, and that once again, I still have questions about it. Yeah, who's levitating in that who's scene? Who's levitating? Who <laughs> is it? Both? Is it one? We don't even know their specialties right now. <laughs> yep. Um, and for all we know, Penny doesn't even like care about. It doesn't seem like he cares about like being in school. So it's like, how would you be any good at magic <laughs> at this point? And and to quote my uh, dearly beloved's uh, buffering the vampire slayer, uh, or paraphrase rather, isn't it hard to hit a moving target? <laughs> there, I'm stealing you. <laughs> oh my god. I will say that even though we hop right into sex, I I think this kind of this and the after moment of like the walking and the ass slapping and it's a special characterization, which lends itself to the Venn diagram uh, that Margot and Elliot are cool kids and Katie and Penny are too cool for school (laughs) kids. It's true. You know what I mean? They're both cool, but in mm, different ways. It's like ways. cool freshmen doesn't know if they care about school yet. And cool, I do study, but I do party equally. And those are very different vibes. It's just cute, surrounded by a bunch of like very flirtatious people. And Al. Very flirtatious, cool <laughs> people. Oh, wow. Um. Okay, so then after that, we kind of get the analysis of Alice by uh, Margot. Margot Margo gives us some exposition on Alice. Uh, there's one of those every year, shy, thinks they're better than anyone else, comes from a family of magicians, so she has it made. Uh, Elliot refers to her as poor little magic <laughs> That was an excellent um, <laughs> copy of him. Thank you. Uh, uh, Elliot is my favorite character for reasons. Um, yes. So we have this moment with Alice. I don't... <laughs> Alice gets so offended at Margot here and I don't get it. Like she, you know, Margot is clearly like being snarky to Q about Alice. 
But all she says to Alice is to like, come over, take a load off, make friends. And Alice gets so upset. And then later when we're in that weird, like common room, coffee lounge, neon area, she gets so mad at Q about it. She's like, they were cruel and unoriginal. <laughs> it's like, he's holding what? on to normal, non-magic stereotypes in the magic world, which is so interesting because she's really defensive against people picking on her, obviously. Um, but was she picked on? Did I miss something I here? I don't think she was, but I also think that if you are so closed off and so not welcoming other people, everything is going to seem like an attack to you, right? Like her, Alice's like mental hoops that she's jumping through is like, no one talks to me unless they're making fun of me. And that that feels relatable in a lot of ways. (laughs) But Q, I agree. I for sure agree with that. Uh, Anyway, I didn't like that. I, for me, that part was like hard to get over this, like Margot versus Elliot, Alice moment. Um, But, and then Alice gets, Again, if you think my family is some sort of advantage, then you've been misinformed. Is there anything I can do to make you feel better or are you good? Uh, (laughs) Which I love because yes, Alice, take no shit. Do not take care of this man child. But at the same time, like, damn, Alice, how do we get? (laughs) He's coming over and being How do we get from minute 28, we're seeing Alice no speaking in a scene. She does some magic. Very cool. Then uh, Margo has opinions about her. We learn those opinions. There is even more information, like just in, like she's got like a mythos around her. Then we meet Alice and then Alice is like, whatever you heard is wrong. And that's that's what, like 10 minutes of the show. And I like that's something that most shows would say, OK, we're going to spend two episodes at least to get it to that point. And they just, they just say, oh no. It happens very yeah. quickly. My issue with it, and like, I understand this is the point and they rectify it later is like, it's so harsh and it's so mean. And I know that's part of Alice's character, but like, there's no vulnerability there. So I, I can't even like, I mean, I guess they try to a little bit with her being like, my parents fucking sucked and I study, like mm-hmm. I study my ass off. So like, shut the fuck up. But you know what I think is happening in this in this dynamic, just in episode one alone, is that Q and I love this trope. Q is like thrust into this world where in the normal non-magical world, he's a loser. And in the magical world, mm-hmm. he has been taken under the wing by the cool physical kids. And he is immediately associated with them for whatever reason. I guess Elliot likes him and Margot's like, all right, fine, he can tag along. And so because he's Truly. been taken under their wing, he is like now with the cool kids. But normally I think he'd be with Alice. And so he looks at Alice and is like, oh, I like will get along with her. But she sees his association with them and is like, these are my enemies. And so he's like trying to bridge that gap, which is why he probably continues to go after Alice, even though she's not interested at all. Because he's like, no, I'm just like you. True. I will say that, like, I wouldn't necessarily call Q the loser, but I will, the way that Margot described her as, like, 
shy and think she's better than mm-hmm. everybody else uh that that was definitely cute in the other world uh especially when you bring in the book like he like q is meant to be like this very smart but also very pretentious white boy who has you know his who is very smart but very depressed and also like just disengaged kind of a tedious person to be around like alice it's like, if you don't want me to learn anything about yeah. you, message received, I'm moving on to someone else. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But as our protagonist, we're kind of just like, yeah, we don't want Q to have to, we don't want him to get kicked out either. Uh, we're mm-hmm. with Q on that. We're with him in yeah. his fears here, uh, which makes Alice feel um, especially mm-hmm. hostile. I don't hate it, but I do struggle. It's like if you met yourself and you're like, oh, would I, would I get along with myself? That that's how this feels in episode one. And Alice's response is no, I want nothing to do with this boy version of myself. And (laughs) Q's like, yeah, I'm entertaining this. (laughs) Okay. Yes. Yes. Um, Yeah. Well, uh, I, we're going to have that. We're going to talk about that topic a little later. (laughs) um in you know like knowing we're seasoned um uh, <laughs> going back we're back in the quad um after after q's attempt to reach out to alice uh fails he gets a call from james who is freaking out about julia has sent him a bunch of emails and called him a bunch and he says there's no service and he's been busy uh, but he clearly has forgotten Julia's birthday and has also been 100% distancing himself from Julia. Yeah. And we see Julia. Um, she definitely looks like James has described her. Very ghost-like, very um, consumed by whatever she's doing, which we know is looking for break bills. Um, there's kind of this moment from James where he, his little insecurity is showing a bit where he's like, I wouldn't have to call you high and mighty Q if I knew what was wrong. And from this moment, we, you know, plan to go to the birthday party at the club, Elliot and Margo invite themselves because of course (laughs) they do. Um, I wish we got to see them a little bit more in this class. This is a, you're never going to get back here if you don't take us with you. Love that. What a skill. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, only because you won't tell me. <laughs> uh, so they go into the non-magic world. Uh, we go to the club. Julia looks so disinterested in this party for her. James very warmly welcomes Q despite their friction on the phone. Um, and then we meet Pete, who is not named yet, named yet as he hits on Julia. And she very casually is like, yep, so go jump off a cliff, thanks. Which I love <laughs> Stella's delivery of this line. Um, and then we're outside the club. Um, even though it's night again, the coloring is very cool, Mm -hmm. very blue. Um, and we get the conversation that is bad. Um, 
this sucks. <laughs> yeah, this is a lot. It's uh, <laughs> the tables have turned. And I think there's a moment where Q is confronted with the idea that he's about to have to gaslight the hell out of his friend, his best friend since childhood. And Julia says, no, you don't. I remember. She says, say what's break bones and I'll right. stab you. <laughs> which i appreciate um she tries to cast and it's very sad but she does make these little sparks because you have no idea how long it took me to find a spell that's real and q q does validate her he says it's real and she says it's because i'm a magician and then he says it doesn't mean you have potential which is harsh and I don't like it. But at this point he has like confirmed break bells and has confirmed it's a spell and is like very slowly entering into this conversation and like calmly validating her without kind of leading her on. Um, And he talks about the George Bush video, which is, um, I love that. Again, we love contemporary drops um, to show that these people are still connected to the world that we know. Um, And Julia fights him and says, no, I'm a magician. And he says, no, you know, you don't want to fail. You can do everything else. And that's where I'm like, boo. (laughs) I think Quentin is really projecting here where before he was kind of validating while also like protecting his interests. But now he's being Mm -hmm. shitty about it. Um, He's not just gatekeeping, but he's putting his own insecurities at not being good at life onto her and also his jealousies, uh, her usually having it all together. And I don't like it. Um, She says they cut off my life and he says your life is here. And then he and Elliot and Margo leave. It is such an intense scene and it does feel like... Q has been rewarded by the universe, I think, in this moment by continuing to believe in this like childhood thing that Julia told him to forget. And he's kind of underscoring, well, you gave up on this, so you're not magical. Uh, And he's also buying into the corporate bullshit, right? He's immediately like, oh, well, they have decided that you are not magical and I am magical and I'm just going to believe whatever they say. Straight on the garden path right there. It's it's almost to me feels like less buying into it and like more just using it to insulate himself and and make himself feel like the special one. He's like, yeah, they're experts. They would know. But like, (laughs) do they? (laughs) How would you know? You're nervous about flunking out, my guy. It's a really fun, and this is why this first episode is so fun, because we know that there's a lot of stuff that comes down throughout the rest of the show. But he, mm, this is the, this is where we're seeing Q really desperate to hold on to this very structured version of magic. Yes. And yes. it is a journey. So also yeah. there's a huge parallel between him and Julia at this moment where she's like, this is, this is my life. And they cut me off. Meanwhile, in the last scene with him and Alice, he's like, this is my life and I can't be cut off. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's not, it sucks that there's not more empathy there because he's so, concerned about 
keeping it to himself and he's Mm -hmm. so jaded at how julia was like forget about this kid crap when it turned out the kid crap Mm -hmm. was real it feels like they're it's like a really gross moment right because julia is her mental health is in a really shitty spot but i think that they've quite literally traded spots and q is treating julia exactly how he feels he's been treated by julia before yeah which is it sucks but it's it's realistic it's this it feels like a real relationship yeah like almost like real people wrote these these characters which like kudos (laughs) because i will say there are some unrelatable characters out there but um i think that it's a tough it's a tough scene but i also think what's crazy is that when q kind of or when julia tells q like you gotta knock this off he's on the precipice of getting into grad school when julia is put down or when q puts julia down she's like straight up suicidal and it's like you gotta know you gotta know the moment where you give out that hard reality and this isn't it it's her birthday and her boyfriend called you because she does not seem like herself uh not the time or place. And that's like, that's such a strange thing because you would think that the people who have received empathy and the help to get like the, who get the help that they need for whatever, 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 whatever crisis they are going through would be able to give that empathy back out to other people. And that is not always the case. And it's hard to watch. No. And I think part of that is because Q is not not that much better off than Julia. He has the comfort of being at break bills, but he's feeling all the same things she's currently feeling. Yeah. And I think he's too far in it to be able to actually know when to dish out the harsh advice and when not to. He's like, I've taken magic 101 one time and I'm an expert. Please listen to my, my words of wisdom. And I want to. Yes. And she's like, you've never been this smug. (laughs) All right. Um, So the next scene is uh, the worst. Tougher than this one. It gets harder. Every scene. Every scene gets harder. It's true. Um, I hate, I hate this, but again, it's in terms of world building, in terms of episode building, in terms of us knowing what we're signing up for in the show, um, I'm kind of glad they put this in the first episode, but I'm also just like, holy fuck, you put this in the first episode. How, how, so how are, how was this episode not end? I thought it was going to end like a million times mm-hmm. already. And here we are and we're in the club bathroom <laughs> and it's very scary and it's very cool yeah. lighting again. Um, I feel like Stella did not know how to search for her button in the sink and I hate watching it. Um, (laughs) It's like Rory holding the coffee mug. Um, Stella does not know how to look for a button. (laughs) She's like using her whole hand to like touch the sink drain and it's like you put a finger in the sink drain. This is what you got out of that sink. I didn't even notice that. <laughs> I've seen this episode like, so many times. Again, I just I'm need sorry. you to do one thing different at the top. Just a little bit. 
I don't know why it stood out to me so much. I think because they just spend like a few seconds too long on it. And it's such a chaotic scene where I'm just like, what the fuck is she doing? And then I'm like, oh my God, what's <laughs> happening? Um, because like the whole point is not, is not uh, that she lost her button. It's why, like, why would a button just pop off her shirt? Oh. And it's because was taken from her so you're saying oh wow i'm really glad they put this up this scene in this episode and my whole thing is glad is a strong word here sure that's a fair point but i'm i don't like this scene and i 100 could have lived without it but i i like that the the magicians was like we're setting a tone very early we're telling you we're not afraid to do certain things really early not that I think essay needs to be in shows nearly yeah. as much as it is, but uh, I started you when we heard the concept of the show, and when you start the show, you do not think this episode is going to be as scary as it is at times, and it's just it does do scary stuff, and this is one it of the is scariest moments. Scary in a real way and scary in a magical way, which. Yes. Like you were saying that there's like this real element and like there's Oreos and other things. There's also magic being used to do very dark and awful things that people who don't have magic are also capable of. I liked it in terms of me kind of knowing what I was getting into with this show because I could have opted out after this and been like, I can't handle the show. Um, which normally I would have. I'm honestly surprised that I kept the threshold I did with the magicians. There are definitely scenes that I do not rewatch. But anyway, let's get the scene over with. Uh, how does it feel to know I can do whatever oh. I want to you? Fucking gross. Uh, Pete says this and Julia sparks herself off of the radiator um well and it's not even sparks it's like full-on like knife knife arms of of lightning yes <laughs> at first it's the sparks and then it's the night the knife arms of lightning <laughs> uh somebody use that as your album title please um but it's <laughs> It's a nice parallel to the Dean pulling an emotion Mm -hmm. out of Q, like yelling at him to get a reaction out of him. Um, Nice in the sense that it fucking sucks that he is like, I'm going to scare Julia into thinking I'm going to assault her (laughs) to try to get her to do real magic. So gross. So gross. Um, and Julia straight up is like, what are you like this rapey wizard <laughs> freak? And he's like, I would never. Ew. And you're like, excuse me, you don't you don't have the clearance to react that way right now, sir. Um, and he's like, You thought the school was the only place to track the gift? Um, which begs the question of like, do they just like wait and see who's rejected or <laughs> I think they must, um, right? Like that's they're like we've been tracking you, and I'm like, oh, cool, stalkers, so fun. Yeah, yeah. And then we cut out of this scene. Um, glad to be out of it. Mm. And we're in the library again. 
can't believe this episode's still happening. Uh, I'm not mad about it, but like when we're going through it, so much happens. (sighs) We're in the library. Q is studying. He hears knocking on the door. Again, the library is like warm, even though it's night. Um, It's warm and it's bright. And we open the door and we get the same as the intro with like a door opening to what seems like a forest. And then Jane appears and tells him, you don't decide when to go to Fillory. Fillory does. Um, And Jane is sitting on top of the grave. Jane is sitting on top of a headstone. It is Rupert Chatwin's grave. So the eldest of the Chatwins, um, it was Rupert and then Jane at this moment. Like she is going so hard here. And I'm like, Jane, he's been at the school for like five mm-hmm. minutes. Like, what do you, you need to calm down. I mean, we say that as the viewer and Jane looks to camera and goes, knock it off. I know what I'm doing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. He's like, you're just a fictional English girl stuck in my head. And she goes, you know, I'm not. Um, Again, what's real and what isn't. Uh, He says it feels right at break bills. And Jane's like, duh, it's a tool for your destiny, but you can't fucking stay there. Um, the scene is so intense in a way that feels unwarranted. <laughs> um, but that is that is my other big flaw for this episode. I have no idea how much time is passing mm-hmm. because we have our like special weather filter at break bills. Like I have no idea what season is this. Um, I have no idea how long he's been at school. Is it like Thanksgiving? time is it <laughs> like has he been is it midterms maybe like is it how long how many months has he been there I don't know how long he's been there and therefore I don't know if Jane's reaction is sure, over the you top know, or not. I, you know what it is I don't think that I've even put that much thought into it and I was just thinking it was days <laughs> exactly for me I'm like Jane he has been here for five fucking minutes I thought he needed to get here to learn shit like you need to calm down. And then the other part of me is like, but also it might've been like three months, like long enough for Julia to look the way she looks. Yeah. Um, and I, that, that takes me out of this because I'm like, what the fuck? It's been uh, well, five you know minutes. What it is? It's the episode is trading uh, details like that for um, exposition and the amount of plot we get in this episode. So and I mean, we have to maybe key into that for the rest of this uh, season and see if any of that time, you know, gets resolved. Yeah, I love I mean, like I said, I, I love I love this episode. I love the amount of world building that happens in it. But I do not like that trade off. Um, it throws me out as a viewer, for sure. We also get one of my favorite pop culture references in this episode. Um she so jane leaves oh Oh, we still have so much well jane leaves a mark right that's next Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. she burns the sigil into his hand in the dream and then he wakes up and has it in real life and then um q recognizes it from being a little bit of a creep over alice's shoulder because she was looking at something with that exact same symbol in a book hey nerds we're here um 
So he, he goes and confronts her, right? That's the next thing that happens. Yep. And he goes, I don't want to be the guy who dies in the first 10 minutes of the movie, which is what makes me think we're still in day three of this journey. Because yes. he's like, well, I guess the beginning of your school career might feel like the first 10 minutes. But um, yeah. also the first three weeks of school feels like the 10. Like when midterms yeah. happen, you're like, how the hell are we at midterms already? True, true, true. I'm using that as a gauge because midterms are like mid-October and school starts at the beginning of September and you're like, wait, what? Yeah. This is the moment that the the characters that are desperate to keep away from each other, Alice, Quinn, uh, they're thrust into a situation where they have to be helping each other. But Alice is especially vague here because he goes, what does it mean? And she says, contact the other side. Excuse me, I... I get it. I get it now. But when that happened, I was like, Alice, you're being a little too cryptic for me. What is happening? (laughs) But we see her desperation now where Q is like, I don't want to die in the first 10 minutes. And she's like, no, you have to do this with me. Um, Self-preservation in these moments is so interesting because it is so much the opposite of how he was in the first scene of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no, Alice is definitely acting more like Q right now. She's just like, what, you want me to tutor you? You want me to copy your notes? Like, I will, I will do anything to get you to like, do this with me. And Q is super hesitating, but we get a lovely little line from Alice, which is for some reason you're involved. So be involved, um, which feels almost akin to Julia being like, just choose something, like just pick something to be invested in, in your life. Yeah. Uh, so I do like that little, that little tidbit. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a good scene. It forces these two together and the tables have clearly turned. Um, cut to Penny and Katie studying in the bed. Um, we get the reveal that Penny hears voices. He doesn't like to identify as a psychic. So Katie calls him a mind slut, which I love. (laughs) They're, they're both doing their like, Cool, cool girl cool, cool guy energy right now like we're not we're not telling each other fully what's going on <laughs> they're like we're hooking up and that's a very intimate thing but I don't emotionally know you intimately what an interesting dynamic <laughs> yeah you're not even the first one to get into my pants I was like oh okay this is weird um cool girl vibes <laughs> said with the most like mm, face I've ever seen <laughs> um so she invites herself along with him because yeah. he's hearing voices we don't fully or, or he's hearing a voice we don't fully know what but he and Katie show up in the admin building where Alice and Quinn are uh while they're trying to where they're talking about Charlie he died five years ago. She wants to find out what's happened to him by contacting him. And, uh, you know, she explains that no one has told her what's going, what happened to him, which has got to be, got to be kind of rough, but it's nice. Cause we finally get some vulnerability from Alice. We also get some motivation. Like you said before, this isn't, this isn't Q's world not everybody is thrilled to be here to do magic and learn magic. Uh, we find out that she doesn't fucking like magic at all, actually. Yeah. 
she's not there because she loves magic. She's openly mocking the people who do. Um, but she's just there for answers. And then Penny shows up and reveals he was sent to help. Uh, but we still don't know who. Penny, we don't know who, which I don't like. Um, we get his little spiel with Quentin revealing that he's a psychic. Um, I feel like it is un- uncomfortably of the times when he says, everything you think is so boring, I replace it with dubstep. <laughs> What's dubstep? <laughs> Thank you, 2015. Oh, man. <laughs> um, <laughs> terrible. Uh, Quentin is like trying to catch up here where Alice is like, I don't even need to catch up. She's just like, fuck yes, let's go. This is perfect timing. (laughs) I'm not, I don't care who sent you. I'm just thrilled you're here. Yeah. I, this next moment is so bizarre to me. I literally thought like the audio cut out on my television. It was so prolonged. Well, we get this like little music cue that the spell is about to work and then the music cuts out and nothing happens, uh, which, you know, is like a womp womp. Hmm. Uh, Penny and Katie leave. Q starts to clean up. Wow. Clean up. Um, <laughs> Alice is sitting there and she just looks like shocked and disappointed and you know, looks at the mirror before she leaves. The spell was supposed to be finished and work at midnight and it didn't. So they leave. After they leave, we see the smiley face nope, I'm drawn getting, into the mirror. I'm getting chills. Like we're filming this. It's now 1030. And watching this, I forgot that this is how it went. And I, oh, no, no. Just the way that that is drawn is so creepy it was like the it's maximum so it's not even like a cute like like really close eyes together really cute mouth it's like very very scary um yeah and the way it drips oh no yeah this was not okay i remember watching this for the first time at night and being like oh maybe i have hit my threshold here <laughs> It's giving it like there was like, you know, almost a uh, sexual assault earlier in the episode. And then they're like, oh, it's a horror movie. Did you not know that? It's every genre. Did you not? <laughs> I love that it's every genre, though, because you can play with that so well, especially in a fantasy world. It gives you leeway to have it be every genre. Uh, but this one's a scary genre. So. Yeah, uh, we get the other music cue as the smiley face is being drawn that like, in case you weren't afraid of the smiley face, you should be afraid of the smiley face. Um, Yes, so while we're feeling unsettled, we cut to Pete and Julia. Uh, Pete is taking her to a safe house. We see him like show this tattoo of a keyhole to enter. And she's like, what is this? And he says, this is the real world, babe. Again, just noting a little theme. I, I just wish there was like a little theme fairy jingle I had here <laughs> for every time I'm like, this is another touching moment of like what's real and what's not real. We don't really get to see the safe house because then we cut to the classroom 
uh, with a very familiar looking mirror. <laughs> Q is playing with his coin. We see like Katie and Penny fooling around kind of, and the professor is talking in German and the clock strikes noon and there's scary, scary music playing. And his face is obscured by all of these moths that we've been seeing since the first minute of the episode. And he walks along kind of like he's doing this little, little trot, little dance. Yeah. Which is a nice unsettling touch. Um, and you see him, his hand pops out and he has six fingers which I didn't catch the first time, but and as he casts, we hear a choking noise and the professor who is frozen collapses right after that fog pops in and casts battle magic. Um, and he gets hit and gets knocked down, but recovers very quickly. Mm-hmm. The beast gets knocked down, right? But then gets right back up he he does like this crazy casting where fog is somehow fog is frozen um we don't see how it happens but he like lifts him up by the hands and breaks all of his fingers and then plucks out his eyes and he puts them on the empty desk and he draws a smiley face with them like the mirror I have bug growth. And then it gets worse. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. He, he fucking bites fog until fog collapses. I mean, that's that's some weird shit. So weird. Such an interesting choice. It's what? But it gets weirder, <laughs> Olivia. It gets weirder because you know what happens right after that? The coin cues little coin that he was playing with fall. Like how? Mm, gravity, magic, who knows? The plot. Um, and the beast notices and he can speak. And he comes over and he says, Quentin Coldwater, there you are. Right? I think that's what he says. Yeah. And he reaches out his hand towards Quentin's face and it cuts to black. You can kind of see his face. Like I watched it and I was like, you can kind of see it. And that's like so strange to me because I remember the first time I watched this, I could not look at him. It was so terrifying. Mm -hmm. The way that his face was obscured was so disturbing to me. But now I was like, oh, I know. I know what I'm looking at. But it's strange because Mm -hmm. they obscure his face just enough be yes. mysterious and terrifying but i will say this on a lighthearted note this is anti-moth propaganda moths are not this scary i like moths <laughs> and they're making them seem like these really like harbingers of death or something and i think that's just not fair to the moths um <laughs> i i am in wholehearted agreement with you dara i'm pro moth um this, this is, these are beast moths in which they are I presumably being controlled by him. I don't think it's the moth. I think it's the caster. True, true. 
gotta gotta give some empathy to those moths. I will say, even though I wouldn't want to represent this character, I've seen pictures of people cosplaying as the moth hidden beast, and it's very cool. We love a good practical cosplay of something that seems impossible to do practically. It's a very good skill to have. Um, so I, I think before we were recording, I made like a joke and I'm going to say it again. Uh, I I thought this whole episode that Fog looked so different. And I was like, why does he look? And then I remembered. <laughs> yeah, those eyes, yeah, they're not there most of the time. Um, yeah, <laughs> having eyes makes a big difference. <laughs> um, yeah, so that's like a different experience altogether coming into this episode, expecting one thing and getting a completely different thing, only to be reminded. Right, that's why we're here. So, so in the way that this whole episode really seeks to ask questions and answer them very quickly about characters directly, like what's going on with Alice? She has it made. No, I don't. My parents are crazy, right? That sort of, and then even Penny explaining that he hears voices, et cetera, et cetera. They, it ends on such a huge cliffhanger that is like, you're not allowed to leave. You have to hear what happens next. But it's the end. I feel conflicted about cliffhangers very often. I think they are usually not used well. In this case, I'm pro cliffhanger. I hate it, but it's also very good. I think cliffhanger episode one, good choice. I need to know what happens to Quinn and everybody because the premonition was that the beast will kill everybody if if he finds Quinn. And here we are. Uh, we don't formally know it's the beast, but we, no. it's it's yeah. the beast. It's clearly the thing that has been feared in the whole episode. Um, definitely don't think that's Charlie. <laughs> well, right, but then also, isn't that something that is equally terrifying? Is that what if it is? We don't you know? know. Like, and and like, Alice doesn't know what happened to her brother. No one will tell her she did a summoning spell to get to contact him and this monster comes through. So it's like, what are we supposed to glean from that? It's like, it's very much possible that this is Charlie and, and, or even if the beast hadn't come through, there was a possibility that Alice was about to summon her possibly very, very, very in bad shape brother from the dead. Like what? that's that's a kind of a disaster waiting to happen so they're all playing with fire in the way that quentin was like so afraid to get expelled and alice was like none of this matters we just got to do the thing that Mm -hmm. i that i know that matters right and it triggers a series of events and then we get to our our silly little cliffhanger i think i think that there's no good way to be like to jump into how i feel about this episode overall but i'm just gonna jump in i everyone, Jane Chatwin specifically, is, you know, speaking to Q so urgently, don't go down the garden path. And then other people are saying, do, do that, do that, do that. And my feeling about this is that the metaphor Jane is kind of playing out for him is just that you 
if you stay down the path that everyone has laid out for you, literally the stones in the garden so you can get from this point to the other point, the thing that is going to, that wants to kill you will kill you. And that is like a huge metaphor for like, if you live your life boring and by the book, it is, it is going to kill you. But if you take risks and do things like you're not supposed to, you might find that there's like some magic in it. And it's a big, it's a big thing to suggest because there's, and I think we'll get into it as we go through this season. There are a lot of things that they compare to magic that are probably pretty harmful. Um, and I think that maybe they're not <laughs> supposed to be compared, <laughs> uh, but we'll, we'll get into it. It's just, it's a big, it's a big ask from, from someone like you who has been trying to get onto a normal life only to find out that to just find a yeah. path. Yeah. Any path, right. Just choose one. Right. Uh, and he finally chose one. And now a little British girl in his brain is telling him to knock it off. <laughs> yeah. Very difficult for anybody built like you for yeah. sure. I found this one. Let me go. Yeah. And I also think that the parallels between Q and Julia are going to continue to go throughout this season. And I think it's extremely intentional and it only makes me wonder what their lives would have been had break bills not happened because it's like, it kind of sends, it sends them both into a whirlwind that mm-hmm. I imagine in the normal world would have played out in the same way. Julia's life would have continued to be put together. Q's life would have been aimless and he would have been medicated and very upset, blah, blah, blah. Um, Medicated is not bad, but, you know, it would have, uh, it would have been disengaged. Yeah. 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 We're going to see, we're going to see what that looks like. What did, what did you think about the overall episode? It definitely pulled me in. I felt, uh, very immersed in this world. I wanted to watch the next episode, even though I wasn't sure about my attachment to the show at this point, I, you know, I was like, yeah, I, I need another one for sure. Give me the next one. Thank God it's streaming. <laughs> uh, but I overall enjoyed it. I definitely had some time sorting out um, if Julia was like the antagonist to Q's protagonist or if they were co-protagonists or what which I liked though. I really love, uh, there's a lot of character parallels between Pete and Fogg, uh, between uh, Katie Penny, Elliot Margot, between Julia and Quinn, especially like their relationship is very largely what pulls us into the show and allows us to ground ourselves in it. So I love to look at them and wonder what's going to happen next because there's so much like even though we don't know all the history there it's so strongly felt almost a shame that we can't record the episode two two one immediately but then also i intentionally did not watch episode two so i didn't have the answers so i have to sit here and wonder because my brain 
I also didn't watch episode two immediately after, um, which has required lots of self-control. Uh, but I'm very excited to watch the episode. Um, How did you feel? What did you think of the title of this episode, Unauthorized Magic? I love it. I think it is, it breaks down immediately <laughs> that there is a good and bad kind of magic. That So gatekeeping, hey. Uh, and we're talking, it says, it doesn't say like good and bad magic. It doesn't say that. It's saying unauthorized magic, <laughs> which implies that whatever is happening in this episode, there is some unauthorized magic, which would be probably Allison and Q summoning things with no supervision. Whatever the hell the beast is doing. Um, and then mm-hmm. everything that happens to Julia and the club. Yeah. And authorized. Oh, go ahead. Authorized by who? Authorized by who? Authorized by who, for sure. Uh, gatekeeping will 100% be a theme throughout this uh, season. I I also like it in the sense of um, with all the other things I'm talking about with what's real, what's not, what's childish, what's grown up, like unauthorized magic. Like he wasn't allowed to believe that any of this was real, mm. but he very faithfully did hope that it was and um, was as such rewarded. Um, damn, that's, a, damn a that's a better interpretation than what I had. <laughs> no, I like your interpretation too. I think it's, it's this title contains multitudes because my initial reaction to like what it meant, it just, it just makes me think of like, you know, when Harry Potter and his friends were home for the summer, they weren't allowed to do mm-hmm. magic outside of Hogwarts and I was like there wasn't any of that in here but in my head I have like the howler screaming about magic uh, being done and it's it's not that and I like that it's not that they're allowed to do all these things but it's um, more the meaning behind Mm -hmm. them (sighs) yeah it's like not even just that they are allowed and not allowed it's like that there are groups of people that are doing magic that we are like nah. but i think we're gonna get into that yeah. because that is a theme that per like is mm-hmm, i don't know the correct word for this but it just is a per- pervasive. pervasive i was gonna say that so that that is a theme that is pervasive throughout this entire season at the very least from what i remember is that the regulation mm-hmm. of magic the gatekeeping if you will um is really <laughs> is really consistent and i don't want to send any say any spoilers but it's ironic it's ironic how much they lean on that bureaucratic element to magic considering what they're up against but considering this is a fantasy oh, oh no <laughs> i my one of my favorite things about fantasy series is when and by favorite i mean like oh god like what in the world are you guys doing is when realistic things come into a fantasy world and i said you know you just don't have to do that you just it's usually true for like big things like racism like we don't have to have this here right people added it anyways so a lot of the things that happen in the magicians that are added in that i think they could have just omitted 
are interesting. And I think we'll have to dig into some of those and see if they bring it in for a good reason or if they're just doing it because they're leaning on old tricks. What had you spell that? I'm trying to think of something PG to say. I can get mine was um the shot of Quentin through the card castle passing out after he realized he was doing real magic I loved that moment so much uh I think far too often in fantasy people do not have normal reactions to things (laughs) and I think passing out after casting your first spell after a man has been screaming in your (laughs) face uh is perfect and it was just a beautiful shot on top of that. I'm going to say mine is way less magical, but equally uh, a good call out. It's just the the Mean Girls lunch table roundup. That was my favorite. And honestly, we're going to keep seeing stuff like that. And it's never going to get tired for me. I, I love it. Mm-hmm. Give me all the pop culture references. I love a good magician who's seen Mean Girls. <laughs> fair enough uh yes um what was your top game i think i think we both know um margo's this is him he's not that cute but elliot's (laughs) face specifically where he's like "Mm, our taste in men is quite different uh (laughs) yeah he's not embarrassed at all he's just like well which is my favorite part is that he's just like, I know factually he is cute and you're incorrect. Um, Hale Appleman does so much work when he doesn't even have lines. Uh, I mean, I know that's what acting is, but he's, he's very good at it. Um, I will probably call out when I have re- rewound a, how do you rewind? Re- I, when, I, when I have to go back and watch it again, I will let you guys know. I will let you know because if I have to, if there's seven characters and they're all reacting, I already know of a scene that's already going to be a problem. We're going to watch it for each of those characters. What was your gayest moment? <laughs> um, I was originally going to pick when Quentin, when all of them are in the um, admin office looking at the mirror and Quentin is sitting like a little bisexual in his little and his little like squat um but i'm gonna go with quentin struggling and getting stuck in his sweater in the (laughs) in the exam room (laughs) that moment meant so much to me um what a little disaster jason ralph and um does not take Jason Ralph does not take physicality light. He is like the character has to have all of these nuanced little things about him. And he commits from the way he speaks to the way he oh. moves for sure. It's perfect. Well, oh, I'm really excited for episode two. I Me too. hope our characters make it out alive. Otherwise, what is happening for the rest of these five seasons? Um yeah there are five seasons so um i have some faith they're not gonna like pull the skins and give us a whole new Mm -hmm. cast i think it'll i think i'm feeling positive until until next time until next time (laughs) 
If you'd like to follow us on social media, you can find us at No Sidekicks Pod on Instagram or send us an email at nosidekickspod at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Stay magical or whatever.